0: This program is made possible by members and donors to the show. To find out more, visit the support tab at thepermaculturepodcast.com. This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann. And you are listening to episode 1646, The Garden Awakening. My guest for this episode is Mary Reynolds, the Irish author of The Garden Awakening, Designs to Nurture Our Land and Ourselves. In this interview, our conversation focuses on On how we can heal the land and ourselves by reconnecting with the stories of a place. This includes trusting our intuition and acknowledging those feelings of the damaged as well as the sacred. Through this process we can become guardians of the land, responsible for it as much as we are for ourselves and our descendants. By doing so, the land becomes a member of our family and connected to our community. Enjoy this conversation with Mary and may it awaken something in you as it did for me. Now then, on to Mary Reynolds, who begins by telling us about her experience being the youngest woman to ever win a gold medal at the Chelsea Flower Show.
1: I was very young anyway, I was 27 going, and yeah, it was a garden design based on, um, it was the first time I kind of was trying out a new style, you know, a new style that I was trying to kind of embrace the energy of, natural wild places and things like that yeah but um it, it was it was something that i've that the book has developed a lot since then it was kind of like my initial steps towards how i understand land now but it was working with intention and it was quite powerful because i realized that people really were affected by it which didn't happen didn't happen in any other gardens i'd ever made people because I built it with a very strong intention and I made sure all the people that were building it had the same intention. And so I realized that worked very well because people who came up to the garden afterwards, anybody who was from Ireland looked into the garden and thought, oh, isn't this lovely? It's just like a little piece of home. But anyone from England or beyond was very interesting. People all wanted to talk to me. A lot of them were crying and a lot of them wanted to tell me how they remember places like this from when they were young. They all had a memory. And how those places were gone, so they all f- it was like an outpouring of grief, and it was very interesting because three weeks previously it had just been a blank piece of grass, you know. So it was just my understanding that land absorbed intentions and those and the energy could be changed and brought to life with our help. So that's what I learned at the Chelsea Flower Show, and I haven't gone back since. You know, it it was quite it was quite a quite an interesting um understanding that I learned that time that's really it
0: you mentioned there that you were going through a bit of a transition in design had you spent a lot of time doing garden design work before entering the garden show
1: yeah i had i left school quite young and my parents were very good parents like they were they were very good parents they insisted that i went to college but i i mean i was only 16 i didn't know what i wanted to do so I chose Languages and Marketing, and if anybody knows me now, that, that's hilarious. And I lasted a very short amount of time, and I dropped out and went to live in the big city of Dublin and started working a very promising career in a cardboard box-making factory. And my mother hunted me down after about six months and insisted I go back to college. And I again, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And I looked around and I fancied this very good-looking boy who was studying landscape design in University College Dublin. So I said, well, I'll do that. So I went to college based on a decision about a handsome young man and ended up dating him for about two weeks and realizing there was nothing there to date and ended up staying with the course because I didn't know what else to do. So it wasn't like I always knew what I wanted. And then immediately set up a landscaping a landscape design business and basically slowly lost the will to live you know I was very good at designing gardens like but it was very boring and people changed their mind depending on, depending on what fashion had come into play in the latest magazine or garden design program so I didn't like it but I did it and I was good at it and I did some makeovers on telly and all that sort of thing and then some point I moved back away from the city I moved back into the mountains in West West Wicklow which is the county known as the Garden of Ireland. It's very wild. It's the county below Dublin on the east coast of Ireland. It's a very beautiful place and I lived in this tiny little old cottage in the mountains there at the bottom of a road that brings you to Glendalough on the far side and I had a very powerful dream that When I woke up from it, I realized that I was unhappy because I was forgetting about my connection with the Earth, which I had made when I was a young girl, and I had forgotten all about it. I suppose that happens to everyone, doesn't it?
0: I went to university at 16 and dropped out, and then went back to school later, and around the time I was 27 or so was when I reconnected to the Earth and remembered all of this time as a child, so it's very... It's an interesting parallel. Wow,
1: I love that. Do, do you want me to tell you about the time that happened to me, what happened to me, when I, the memory I have? It's a really beautiful memory, Scott. And
0: I would love to hear that.
1: What happened when I moved to Wicklow was that I remembered a time from when I was young. And very interestingly, I was the youngest of six children, and we grew up in a very small farm. And it was a lot of freedom back then. The land was very young. It was still teeming with life. The industrial farming green revolution hadn't taken over yet. So there was still life everywhere. It was just full of life, you know, and there was a lot of freedom back then. So I remember distinctly I was six or seven and I wandered away from the farm and wandered up to a very small little field at the top of the farm. And walked in through a gap in the hedge. It was about a four meter wide gap in the hedge and was into a meadow. And I felt like there was somebody watching me. So I turned around and the gap in the hedge was completely gone. And I have a very strong memory of this. And I walked around the edges of that very small little field and there was no way out. And I was stuck in there for the day. There was no way out. And I was too far away for anyone to hear me. It was a beautiful sunny day. I remember there was a very strong scent of hawthorn flowers. It was a May day and, you know, eventually I got distracted. I was very afraid initially, obviously, because it was a frightening thing to happen. I Eventually I got distracted by the scent of the flowers, the hawthorns, the, the buzzing of the bees and the butterflies and the long grass and the flowers. And I sat down and I basically relaxed and started to notice that all the plants were preening for my attention. And some of them had different personalities, Some of them had different energies. some of them, some of them were bullies, some of them were quiet, some of them were very shy, but they all wanted me to notice them. It was this very interesting. they they were like leaning towards me. um the trees and the grasses and all the little creatures. I could feel them like they were all very, very much alive in the very same way we are, you know, they all could feel pain, feel love, a, a very different, a very simple interaction. But eventually a neighbor's daughter shouted over the hedge and I looked around, the gap was back and I went home. And I didn't tell anyone about it because it was a simple thing. And just back then you didn't really tell anybody anything, it was just the way the world was and everyone was busy. But I did tell my dad about it a long time later, maybe when I was 18 or 19. And he was really shocked because the same thing had happened to his grandfather in that field, and his grandfather was was a gardener in a local estate. And yeah, it's known locally as a fairy field. It's just one of those things that have disappeared from Irish land and diversity and that feeling. But what I what I did learn from it, Scott, was something that I didn't understand until I began to write my book, because I I knew I was working with land In the wrong way and I started to write about my work and I wrote myself out of a job because I realized that all the all the gardens I was designing even though they were designed in harmony with the shapes and patterns of nature and they were very beautiful and you know they flowed well and energies were were flowing through them they weren't being blocked I wasn't blocking the energy of nature but the land itself did not want to remain as I had designed it therefore I knew I was doing everything wrong And so I had to stop working and I had to re-imagine how do you really work with nature in true harmony and, and truly step into our role as guardians of this land. And I realized that the key that I was forgetting was asking what the land itself wanted to become. And within that, the very important memory that I had when I was a kid was my understanding that those plants and that land were part of my family and I was part of theirs and that familial bond and connection with land is something that we're all missing and when we stopped connecting with land by stopping growing our own food we tore a hole in our hearts and we have all been suffering from that serious disconnection ever since and trying to fill it with drugs and alcohol and you know whatever connection you can make, left, right, and center. I mean, it's just anything, but that's such a simple thing to reconnect with, you know, the earth beneath our feet, and it'll restore everything. Simple thing, you know? So, Scott, I talk way too long.
0: That's entirely why I do this, is because I want to collect other people's stories. It's so easy to ask someone, how are you doing, just as a way to pause the conversation long enough that you get a chance to speak when really it's about for me asking, how are you doing? And I don't want to hear that everything's okay. I want to hear that your heart is broken because of of what is happening in the world around you or what brought you joy today, that it's not a a hollow question. So your answer is lovely. And so is the, the way that you speak about all this and the length of it. My friend, Ethan Hughes says that One of our highest human needs is love and belonging, and I connect that with some of the other work that my friends here in the Primitive Skills and Rewilding Movement are involved in, in that that love and belonging is also a reconnection to the land, that we have to really uh, develop and establish a true sense of place in order to really foster that connection that it can't be something where you just move from place to place to place every couple of years and say that this is the land that i'm now on that it's about rooting yourself somewhere and spending time with it and getting to know the other than human and it was something that was kind of difficult for me for a long time because i was raised in a very science minded way and i'm still skeptical in many regards when it comes to information that's presented and other things but i I love the the folkways and the folklore and these cultural traditions and our myths and legends and stories. And I've had those experiences where you're standing in a place and it feels ancient and powerful. And there's just a moment where there's nothing that I've ever encountered in the waking world, if you will, that can explain what it is that I'm experiencing. And having been to some places that people have created by placing some stones or a hedge or a small building and the way that it seems that that intentional development creates a place for reflection and separation from the modern life and to retouch something that is a story inside all of us that we may just no longer remember. Is that the kind of feeling and sensation that led you to your current work in writing this book as you say that writing yourself out of a job
1: yeah i always recognized the feeling of ancient places i mean ireland is littered with you know sacred places um from pre-christian times and i knew that some of these were you know I, i was always quite sensitive to that sort of change in atmosphere change in feeling in a place and I knew that all those places, not all of them held the energy anymore and some of them had were just stones in a field and some of them felt really strong. And I knew that those places were important and very much a big part of what I needed to write about in this book is how our simple fields with you know, a few stones placed in a particular way, how do they hold this powerful energy? Like, wh- why is that? What is it that we've forgotten? Or why is that a place you walk into can feel very, very scary when it looks beautiful or it, it feels very distrustful? Like, some woodlands feel like places where, you know, the big bad wolf is hanging out waiting to eat you. And some, some woodlands feel interested and lovely and they they feel safe and you're invited into them and you feel welcome in them and my eventual understanding is that we have simply forgotten our power and our role in this planet is one of guardian and that we have the ability to damage land we have the ability to care for land or damage it and so what i learned was to treat land in the same way as a parent treats a child so a cleared piece of land is like a vulnerable child and it looks to you its guardian for direction and you can either create a very strong relationship with that child or you can leave it off to go wild And not have a relationship with it. Now, if you leave the child to go wild and ignore it, it might survive. It probably will survive if it's lucky. You know, lots of things can go wrong, but it probably won't do very well. You know, it's bound to hit an awful lot of bumps in that road. It certainly won't be nurtured and loved and cared for in the way that a a child that's raised well will be, you know. So there was all these things that I needed to pull together in a puzzle in my book that really I found extremely taxing and extremely difficult. And in the end, I realized it was very simple understanding. It was kind of, I suppose, all those things that you you can't really quantify, Scott, Those, those things like magic and, you know, all those feelings that you speak about where you can't scientifically kind of underline them and say, this is why this is, do you know? They're all things that we have forgotten are extremely important. And they're the things that I that I researched in old Irish kind of customs and ways and, and found ways to remember all that information because we've only just forgotten it. It's only a few generations gone, you know.
0: And Larry had said to me when I talked to him that your book, it feels like a very Irish book. And I very much agree with that in reading it because of the the folklore and the traditions and the stories that you weave into this that really are connected with the land that you come from. And it's interesting for me because I want to now go and read the stories of the Susquehannock and the peoples who used to inhabit central Pennsylvania and get a better understanding of the stories that they told and the culture that they come from to get a better understanding of this place and where the sacred may have been for them.
1: Excellent. That's wonderful. That's a result.
0: <laughs> My family traditions are are central and northern European, but that, that is to a particular place with a certain climate and that are not applicable to a temperate climate and the way that the peoples of the Americas tended this land. And that's, that idea of guardianship that you speak to is... A really powerful feeling for me because I have a friend who is a green Lutheran minister, so he has a very environmental bent to his teachings and practices. And in conversation with him, we would talk about Genesis and this idea of in the beginning where it says that God gave man dominion over the earth. And the way that we can look at that word not as dominion, but one of protection or to be a shepherd of the earth. And the way that that then changes our relationship from one of conquering or conquest to one of caring and tending. And it really changes the cultural understanding of what our role is then in the world with just a simple change of that phrase.
1: If you take your garden and you, you live with the understanding that this garden is like the vulnerable child okay so you can dress your garden or your or the child up in a pink tutu and you can tell it to look pretty and you know behave well and smile when the neighbors call around and that's what most people do with their gardens right that's what they do they they decide what it's going to look like and they they punish the garden when it changes or you know if it I mean, the the poor garden can't help itself. I mean, it it, it can't help but develop into a teenager. It can't help bursting out of the pink tutu seams and can't help its true nature coming through. That's what it does. That's what we all do. We all grow and evolve. And it's trying. Most land wants to grow and evolve into a multi-tiered woodland system. And unless it's like a floodplain or a savannah or a top of a mountain top or whatever else, you know, that most land wants to become that. And then it's a stable, balanced individual, you know, and it has an ecosystem and community of of creatures above and below the soil. And then the other side of that is you cannot allow it. Well, you can. You can allow it to become a heavy, dark, canopy woodland system. But our role as guardian is to hold a place you know, is, is to manage this land and to, and to keep it in the healthiest state possible. And the healthiest state possible is kind of a, is not kind of a, an end stage woodland. It's actually, although some, although you need those as well, but within our gardens, because most of us only have small spaces, is to hold it in a place that allows a lot of light through the canopy layers and you, you put, you, you kind of manage it and plan it so that it becomes more like a medium stage woodland system. And that way, you're allowing the land to become what it wants to become. You're holding it back a little bit to allow all the other layers to develop. And you know about forest gardening, I'm sure, because you're permaculture. So that's where I ended up going with it, because my understanding came, the final part of the puzzle came with my understanding that When we disconnected from the earth by stopping growing our own food and started buying it in plastic wrapped packages in the supermarket instead, we lost our connection. That was where we lost our connection. And we have to go back to that. We have to go back to growing as much of our own food as possible. And to do it in a way that allows the land to become what it wants to become is, is the key.
0: By creating that connection and knowing the land, we can then grow a garden that is beneficial to ourselves by producing food, but also to the land as it needs and the animals and other things that call that space home.
1: Yes, that's it. I know I can be extreme in some ways and I speak from my heart and this is how I feel about land and this is how, I mean, I have a very strong feeling of responsibility. You know, I feel extremely responsible for the damage around me and I think I think we're simply reflections of the land beneath our feet. You know, I think, and that was understood in old Irish cultures, and I'm sure it has been in every ancient culture, is that the king or the chieftain, the leaders of the lands, of our land, was considered to be married to the land. And so the state of the land was a direct reflection of of their rule. So if the land was healthy... It meant that they were good leaders. I think that that is reflected in the, the state of our political leaders these days. We don't have leaders anymore. And and the, as soon as people wake up to that, we do not have leaders anymore. We don't have leaders and people have to step back and, and take back their own power and start to heal the little pieces of land they can as much as they can. It's the most powerful thing you can do is to take the little pieces of land that we are directly responsible for. And if every one of us takes those little patches and heals them and brings them back to life, that will have a massive effect. As every little patch that's brought back to life, that's healed, that's, you know, chemicals are taken out of the system, that the trees are brought back, that all the the communities of plants and animals and microorganisms that are above and below the soil, that they are welcomed back in, the more of these sanctuaries that we create, the balance will tip in our favor. And it'll create a network of interconnected spaces that will actually do more than any protest will. You know, and that's where I want to go with this book. I want people to understand that the most powerful thing they can do is to heal the land beneath their feet. And there's only so much of it we can do, but even if it's only a tiny patch, it's the most powerful thing you can do. And by the, the key that people will be told throughout the book is that it's without, I mean, the, the really understand, interesting thing is that by healing the land beneath your feet, you will not only start to heal yourself, you will also be creating food. That is very healing for yourself and your family. But you you you, you reconnect. You heal that hole that, that was ripped into your heart. You find you fill in that hole because you've connected with the land beneath your feet. You you ground yourself. And it's a massively powerful thing to do. It's so simple, you know.
0: If we love a watershed, then we should restore it. If we see the damage of the degradation of the land and there's something that we can do about it directly then take that action plant some ground cover that helps to reduce erosion create a riparian buffer then that if that company that's producing chemicals won't go away you can at least keep those chemicals from getting into the water and being washed downstream yeah it's interesting as we started this conversation we were talking some about political climates and things it's interesting for me that you would say not to protest that it's not as powerful as just taking this kind of an action and it reflects something for me that the more that we connect as people and build our own gardens and share them with others and help those around us who have an interest or love in the land to grow and to plant that we build greater connections and resiliency than anything that we might expect from the top.
1: I wouldn't expect anything from the top anymore. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's, it's a real shock for people, and I think it's really interesting that it's been, it's become blatantly obvious all over the world now. I mean, there, there is no leadership, and maybe that's a really good thing because we can't wait for anyone else to fix it anymore. We have to take back the power and personally take responsibility for what we can do ourselves. Because they're not going to do anything.
0: A simple, powerful revolution.
1: Gotta love it. But it's true. It's true. And it's about time we woke up to that. I mean, it's that's, that's where we're at. And it's about time we woke up to it. It's just not good enough that we're waiting for someone else to fix it. I mean, we're, you know, there's no, there's no knights on white horses about to arrive in. Certainly none called... Donald Trump, you know.
0: <laughs> At the end of the day, we do not We do have to live with them in some regards because of the policy choices that they can make, but it's our neighbors who we're going to see every day.
1: Yeah. And the most powerful thing you can do is to ignore something. Because if you ignore something, it dies. And if you give it energy, it feeds on it. So as much as you can, just ignore them. You know, and just get on and do positive stuff.
0: In your book, with that idea of having us grow our own food and helping to heal the land, you do give us not only this folkloric tradition in order to reconnect through the stories and places of Ireland in like the first third, but then you you also do provide more, if you will, practical gardening advice and an introduction to forest gardening that would be very helpful for anybody who's practicing permaculture. In order to begin these processes. And one thing that really stood out to me that I like is that you're not a fan of planting schedules?
1: No, no, no. Only because I'm crap at them. Like, I mean, you know, I don't have the patience. And also, this whole idea that you can instantly create something, I mean, that, that you can't instantly. I always go back to parenting, you know, I have two kids and. I've had a lot of help with um, learning how to be a good mom, you know. And, and, and that's actually a lot of my book is based on that knowledge that I was given. Because you can't suddenly tell the child to grow up, you know, or know exactly what it needs right now for the rest of its life. I mean, if you want to develop a relationship with that land, and the land will respond to you and be part of your family and know that you're a part of its family. And it's a very powerful and wonderful thing that we've, like, once you go back to that, you're going to be, it's like, it's like it's like embracing a long forgotten member of your family, the most important member of your family. It's just a phenomenal, wonderful feeling. And you can't possibly know what it's going to need in the beginning. You have to get to know it. And the land knows itself much better than we do what's good. Like, I love you know, I've learned a lot from Larry Coring and, you know, One Straw Revolution and Fukuyoko's teachings. And that, you know, you, you, you've got to allow, some, some things won't want to grow there. You don't force them then. And, you, and some things will grow in places where you wouldn't expect them to. And you've got to kind of work with that. And, you know, but I'm not saying, again, let me go back. I'm not saying let it grow wild because we've done too much damage. We can't do that anymore. We have to guide it back to health we have to guide the land back to health and you do that by replicating nature's natural systems natural healing systems like what you know like you never dig the soil why would you dig over the soil it's like ripping the skin off your arm you know you, the earth immediately tries to scab it over with very you know clever system of activating her weed seed bank and instead of allowing that to happen we keep weeding it you know ripping the scab open and killing all the microorganisms and the, the microlife in the soil. They die from overexposure to oxygen. Like, what are we thinking, you know? There's just... Just to truly work in harmony with nature, we have to bow down and understand that we know nothing. Nature knows that there are all the ways of fixing herself. We have to just copy her and not think we know better because we don't. But it's an interesting balance because, yes... Nature knows what's right. But we've run out of time. We can't just wait for her to heal herself. Because what happens then is there's two things we'll miss out on. One is we haven't got the time for that to happen. We have to gently we have to fast track the process to bring you know, the pieces of land we can bring them back to health. They fast track that process. And I mean by not, you know, by by replicating all nature's natural systems and fast tracking it. But also if you don't kind of interact with the land and and guide it back to help, it's like it's like you won't have a relationship with it. And that's an awful, it's just a pity. I would hate not to have that. And that's our role here. So by missing out on being a guardian of your land, you, you're really missing out on what I think is the most important relationship of your entire life.
0: As a parent, what you said there is something that I can really relate to because as much as I might provide space for my children to discover on their own i still need to continually provide them guidance but also i kind of have to other than wanting the best for them and to make sure that they don't get into too much trouble also allow space for them to discover what it is that they want to be and they want to do i can't impose completely you know my will upon them they are themselves and just that reflection on nature that you know, I've let spaces go wild by not mowing and seeing what grew and explored it, and yet it wasn't necessarily productive for myself or the mm-hmm. bugs and birds and animals that lived there because that land had been planted with seed for grass and everything else that what grew up there wasn't an ecosystem in a way that we might think of it. It was something novel, but if I wanted to make it more productive i would have to tend that space and make some choices of what to plant there but again also to remove myself from what the end goals might necessarily be because some other things might arise that didn't that i didn't expect but in the end would want to have there
1: each piece of land is a unique individual the same way each child is a unique individual they all have different personalities different levels of damage different levels of of required healing i mean that, 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 that there's a whole section on design in the book, which works with the idea that each piece of land has different needs. And I work with old kind of ways of understanding intention in the way that different symbols will have different sort of feelings and different will evoke different things. I mean, different symbols will kind of come into your perspective or into your world when you're searching for designs for your garden, if you're searching with this awareness in in place, you will find that the land has different things it needs to express. And if you're very, very quiet and very gentle, you will find that there's certain shapes and patterns that the land needs to express. And it's a very simple thing and it's not difficult. It's just about shutting up, really, and listening, you know, and not, not digging into your own mind or what you think it should should be there. It's about listening to what the land wants to be there. And the interesting thing is that you and your family will be attracted to live with land that has the same needs that ye do. So, like, I grew up on a farm and I'm going back to live on that farm now. I have, I, I have a five-acre field and I'm going to grow. I'm going to start my... Kind of i want to grow the book on you know i already have a garden that i work with with my in it's a forest garden but it's i don't own it um and i wanted to grow a garden there now that i can bring people to stay and learn and work there as well you know but um what i'm trying to say is that the land i grew up on has a very strong sense of abandonment and feels and i've always had abandonment issues i mean the things that i'm attracted the land that i'm attracted to has the same healing needs that i have
0: where i live is in northern appalachia and i grew up originally about an hour and a half south of where i am now but i've always been a hill and a water person and if i look in either direction the horizon is hills and I don't have to walk too far to find naturally running water just about anywhere here in central Pennsylvania. And that's how it was where I grew up in Maryland. And so I've, I've referred to this area, especially Pennsylvania, as my spiritual home for a long time. And there's something very comforting to have those mountains nearby and to hear that water running almost anywhere where I am. It kind of feels like the land's giving me a hug and talking to me, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's wonderful yeah I mean there will like that's I talk about that as well is that there will be you will be drawn to places like you know we're all just walking trees you know if you look at the, the, the we're inside out we're inside out the, all this, the bacteria in the soil all those creatures that live in the soil they're, they're all in our guts you know we're just inside out you know? <laughs> but we're we don't have roots but we're all looking for those places to put down the roots but the land is calling us to where we should be and sometimes that's where we grew up, and sometimes it's it's halfway across the world, you know, and you will find there's people who never really settle where they are. They never feel at home. It's because they haven't found where their roots are, where the land wants to give them a hug yet, like you have.
0: You're saying things that seem so familiar to me, yet you're in a completely different country with these very different life experiences, but it all is, yeah, it just seems...
1: It's familiar. That is the word you use and it's so true, and it's so important that we all have this knowledge, Scott. That that our role has been lost, and it's very painful. So when somebody speaks it, or says it, or writes it, like I like I wrote about it, and and I do speak about it all the time. Of course, you're gonna all these light light bulb moments are gonna happen because you know this stuff. You know this stuff. Everybody knows this stuff. This isn't new information that I'm giving people. It's old information that we've all just forgotten. This is this is all there. It's not specific to Ireland. It's specific to everyone. This is who we are. We are guardians of this planet and we have forgotten our role. And as a result of that, we are destroying ourselves. And we have to stop. And, you know, it's, it's not too late, but we have to do something extremely drastic and I go back to saying that what we can do is we can heal the little bits of this earth that we're available to heal that are available to us to heal and you know if that means you live in a high-rise tower block in the city and you don't have access to land you I don't know how it works in America but in Ireland you can go and you can hassle your local government and you can find you know land that they're not using there's industrial land there's um you can rent land you can try your hardest to find land to, to work with or you could go meditate for years and eventually find a kind of a calm inner self or you could just do what every spiritual kind of leader ever did is they went into nature and that's where they had all the revelations and that, that's that's I mean nature is where it's at like to me that's that's God that's our God that's our, that we are taking care of the supreme being, which is the earth. That is, that's our role. We're just supposed to be caretakers. That's it.
0: You say about all these spiritual leaders who went into the wilderness, and I think about, you know, Buddha's meditations or Jesus wandering in the wilderness and those challenges and the revelations that come from that by spending that time in that connection and all of the, Efforts that are being put into now having more of that through the creation of like nature and wilderness schools so that we can give children that opportunity. The time that I spend with my own children walking through parks and other outdoor spaces because my son likes to sit and journal when he's outside. And just it seems, I think, and this goes back to something that you were saying earlier is that. When it comes to gardens, this idea that, you know, planting schedules, want to plant everything all at once and have have kind of this instant garden and this idea that everything has to be right now and it needs to be delivered in the moment when it's requested, that there's no patience, there's no reflection or contemplation. And I know so many friends who are, are frustrated because they look at what someone else is doing or what someone else has and doesn't realize that that person has put 20 years into working to get to where they are
1: you can't tell a child to grow up and skip the teenage years and just get on with it you know it just doesn't work so yeah it is it is i mean the beauty is in the journey i mean it's an old saying but that's life is in the journey it's not the end result and it's a it's an awful pity that we seem to have forgotten that in so many ways that's okay. We'll, 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 we'll either cop on in a gentle way or we'll cop on in a difficult way, and hopefully we'll do it in a gentle way.
0: I like slow and gentle because it's much less disruptive. And all those, those historical lessons of when things have happened suddenly, you know, all the, all the folks who wind up suffering for it, and also the land because of the destruction that comes from those kinds of things, that if we can just plan for what will we do with, it, with our own generation... And be able to pass on these lessons to others. To be able to give a mature garden to our children if they want it. Or to find a piece of land and take on the stewardship of it to become a guardian of it. Whether that means... Because yeah, here in the United States you can ask... Um, your local government, if there's land that's been abandoned or available for tax sales, you can either purchase it, sometimes inexpensively, or take on long-term leases. You know, there are even people on Craigslist who offer land for set for rent and use. So there's all kinds of different ways that we can connect and find a place to tend to.
1: Excellent, that's great. And like, there's probably very old people who can't look after their land anymore, and you could probably do a deal with them. And in return for company and connection, they would let you work their land or you know yeah there's loads of different ways yeah you just have to be inventive
0: and fast it's interesting because it's that that kind of fast to find it but slow to build it that there's an imperative that we begin the work now but but not to take the actions that have have led to the kind of destruction that we see
1: no even it's even the recognition of land even the fact that you're standing there and recognizing it as a unique individual living being full of a network of myriad of creatures. I mean, that in itself is extremely healing for the land. Extremely healing to be finally recognized and seen. You know, can you imagine not being seen? I mean, it's so damaging. Um, I mean, I, 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 I think every single... I feel things very deeply, like most of us do, you know, and... Um, I, I find myself walking through different parts of the world whenever I have to go anywhere because I don't like going anywhere. I want to stay here. I don't want to go anywhere, but I tend to sometimes I have to leave, which is very annoying, but I do. But I, I feel like every single part of this planet is sacred, like it's sacred ground. We're walking on sacred ground. This is heaven. This is eden we are in eden this is it and we have forgotten we've forgotten it's like we're looking it's like when christianity arrived in ireland it it told the ancient pagan earth-based religions that you didn't need to worry about the land anymore because it's all just a preparation for the other life up in the clouds so you can do as much damage as you want because as long as you Say sorry, you can live a good life in heaven and, and, and it was like that was the moment that, that, that the imbalance happened. That the that the, the embodiment of the feminine energy which is the earth kind of got pushed out in favor of the masculine energy, you know? And and I mean there's so much to say, Scott, I just don't know where to start or where to stop, really.
0: But I think that everything that you've touched on and what you share within our and what you share with us in your book is about reconnecting to the land and our role as stewards and as guardians. But it's also about redeveloping the cultural connections with one another and the stories that we tell that creates that concern and that care for that the, as the other than human and the land. And that it's more than just, I'm going to go plant a garden, but everything else that we should be aware of and understand in doing so, about speeding up in order to slow down, in taking time to reflect, in understanding our own role in being able to create a vibrant future because we can take responsibility for ourselves and we can also help others around us. I really like that idea of connecting with some folks who for whatever reason, can no longer perhaps take care of their yard or grow a garden, but exchanging our time with them in order to be able to work the land and also foster a relationship with those people in that place. One of the things as a permaculture practitioner that when I'm doing a design, if there are some older neighbors in an area, I like to talk to them because they can tell me stories that folks who have just moved to a space may not know about it on the property that I used to live on, I didn't know that the road that now exists used to sit about 40 feet further to the east, which actually ran through my yard. And it's why I used to find chunks of asphalt, because that was actually from the road. And when it came to knowing where the flood would run through the landscape, my neighbors could tell me where those high water marks were that hadn't been seen in 40 or 50 years. And it's just, it's this beautiful holistic approach to what we can do to really inhabit a place. And it's just, it's lovely and it's wonderful. And I like the way that even though the space that you come from is as an Irish woman and the traditions of Ireland, but it's easy to take the lessons that you've learned and move them anywhere else in the world.
1: It's all just one big ball of earth. It's all connected with, like, it's silly to think it's not really, isn't it? And that's, that's the other thing, Scott, I'd love to just touch on, if you don't mind, is the fact that we are growing food in such a way that is killing the earth. I mean, how did we ever think that growing food that's constantly sprayed with poisons would not make us sick. I mean, how did we ever think that was going to work? And, and, you know, the food is basically is a destructive force, and industrial farming is my biggest bane. It's a nightmare. I mean, I, I, want to, I want to get down on my knees and apologize to the land. I want to get down on my knees and apologize to all the animals we are treating with such disrespect and cruelty. I mean, I, I, I cannot believe that we go into a supermarket and we don't understand what happened behind the stuff we're buying. Like we haven't educated ourselves that people are so disconnected from what they are purchasing that they're believing the happy faces and they're believing the marketing spin on the front of the packet. but what's behind it is so destructive. And the UN has has announced on many occasions, one, in 2012, they announced, the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations announced that there are 60 harvests left in the world because we're washing away all our topsoil. We've washed 70% of our topsoil into the sea in the last 100 years. It took millions of years to build up centimeters of that soil, and in 100 years, we've washed 70% of it away. And that's from the industrial farming revolution. And we are running out of topsoil, and it's one of the big issues that nobody is talking about. And we have to return to simple, local, urban, and agroforestry techniques of growing food in order for us to survive. And if we, if we converted all the farms that are currently under production in the land, and we converted them all to agroforestry farms, you would reverse climate change within five years. Like that's phenomenal. You have to stop spraying all the poisons, of course, and you have to, you have to slow everything down. And it's a huge thing. So it's very hard to take on these multinationals because they have no interest in changing, and and a bit like a bit like the politicians, and they're all in holding each other's hands, of course. The only way we can ignore them is is to grow our own food and to stop buying their produce. It's the only way to affect them. And the more of us that do that, if you turn your back. On them. Do not support them. It's the only way to affect them. And they have to be stopped. But the only thing we can do is work on our own land and try not to support that industry as much as possible and support each other instead.
0: Thank you, Mary, so much for everything that you've shared today and for taking the time to write your book. I really, it may become my introduction to permaculture book for some folks if they want to learn more about what it is that I do, because it's such a a lovely, many of the ideas fit so well with the work that permaculture folks are doing, but it's presented in such a way um, that it kind of, we don't have to use some of the language and some of the jargon. It's just about gardening and agroforestry in a very beautiful, presentable way. And I really look forward to sharing it with many other folks. But before we draw the interview to the close, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners?
1: Well, let's see. What are my final thoughts? (laughs) There's no final thoughts. There's always more. But um, I guess I would lead in with the idea that it's not really permaculture, my book. It's more natural gardening. Um, Larry Corn, who was my editor, would, would see it as not being totally permaculture, more natural gardening, because it's it's kind of my own version of things based on old ways of working with land. And I don't want people to have rules or to feel that they have to do certain things in a certain way. What I want people to to learn through this book is to trust their own intuition and to form their own relationship with the land and to allow the land to become what it wants to become, to step away from the industrial farming system and to try and find a way to get well again. That's it, really. That's it. And, and thank you so much for having me on, because I'm a huge fan of your permaculture podcast. And um, I was extremely excited and honored to um, get a chance to talk to you today. So thank you, Scott.
0: I'm really glad that we were able to make the time and have this conversation. Thank you for joining me, Mary.
1: You're welcome. Thank you, Scott. Bye-bye.
0: And that was Mary Reynolds, author of The Garden Awakening. Find out more about her and her work at marymary.ie or by the link in the resource section of the show notes. Before we get to my closing thoughts for this episode, I'd like to thank the team at Liminal Collective, Kendra, Morgan, and Mary, for being a part of the podcast and along with listeners like you, helping the show to continue and to grow and reach thousands and thousands of people with every episode and expand what it means to practice permaculture. I'd also like to thank Earth Tools for partnering with the podcast. Earth Tools offers a complete line of walk-behind tractors and implements for the small-scale farmer, as well as high-quality hand tools for every gardener. Find out more at earthtools.com. I like the ending there with Mary where she points out that this is not a permaculture book, even as much as I really, really want it to be, but one about natural gardening, something that her editor, who also wrote the foreword to the book Larry Korn, Who was one of masanabu fukuoka's students and also the writer who brought the one straw revolution to the western world that they both focus on this idea of natural methods of gardening or farming and the more that i walk down my own personal path and use this language and terminology of permaculture the less attached i am to the design methodologies presented in many of the books that we have that dig in on techniques I step further and further away from swales and hugelkultur, food forests and herb spirals, and think more about our ethics and the changes that we can make within our culture and our communities very broadly, as well as, as Mary says, about being stewards of a piece of land and healing it, about interacting with it. In some ways, if I could go back and change the name of the show so that it wasn't the Permaculture Podcast, I'd move it to something else. I don't know what exactly, but it wouldn't be permaculture, because the more that I learn, the less that this big umbrella of permaculture makes as much sense as it did when I first came to it. I still love it and think that it's a great entryway to many of these ideas, but feel that we need to be working more with our stories and just spending time in places to take the lessons of folklore and rewilding and blend them into what it is that we're doing so that we create something new and different that grows and changes away from the dogma of the early days of permaculture. And it's authors like Mary and books like The Garden Awakening that keep pushing that edge for me and moving me further and further away from these origins that started it all, the works of Holmgren and Mollison and many others, as I look to Rob Hopkins or Sean Chamberlain in The Realm of Transition, or David Fleming and what we can do if we slow down and create a world that's lean and full of slack, and space where we're no longer glorifying the world of being busy, and instead spending more time with people, plants, animals, and earth. And with this being the last episode of the year, I'm also looking at what 2017 will bring, and what it means as I step back into a space of sabbatical and reflection for the seventh year of the show. With my holiday break coming to go spend time with my children my friends and my family what do you think of the ideas that mary shared with us during this interview what do you see coming for the year ahead how have your ideas and thoughts about creating the world that you want to live in changed since you were first exposed to permaculture i'd love to hear from you and get to know more about how these ideas shift and mature over time leave a comment or send me an email, show at permaculturepodcast.com if you'd like to have an exchange there. Or give me a call if you want to talk about it, 717-827-6266. Or we can exchange letters by post if you would like. The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. The next episode will be 1701, both as a look back over the year that was and the year that's yet to come. That'll be out sometime around the 1st of January. Until then, spend each day being a guardian and a steward of the spaces and the people that you care about by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.